Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. And if you didn't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And today I have my guest with me, co-host and media consultant, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Fine, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. And we also have circulation director of the Herald, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? I'm doing well, John. It's always good to be here. Definitely. And we have special guest, Aaron Gratch, Program Coordinator of Women's Imaging with Mercy Health. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. No problem. No problem. Now, before we head into our main topic, let's talk about the top news topics of the week. Hamilton County Job and Family Services faces a critical workforce emergency that requires immediate attention to keep children safe. The impacts of the pandemic include a nationwide employee shortage across most occupations, including JFS. Most concerning, this is adversely impacting children's services frontline caseworkers whose primary job is to assess and ensure child safety. The agency is not getting enough new applicants for these positions. And as a result, caseworkers are facing especially high caseloads, leading to further departures, making the situation worse. To address this workforce emergency, JFS announced increases of up to 25% for targeted children's services positions. Andrea, your thoughts on this news story? I think it's disheartening to hear that our organization that works on behalf of children, especially when they're in, they have troubling troubling living situations to think that the agency is having a hard time staffing-wise. These agencies come under scrutiny a lot because of past history, working on cases, sometimes they miss something, and then their situation is aggravated because of COVID and because of the stress work relationships, work, working conditions, I should say. It's kind of sad that who that what is our mainstay for supporting our children is affected so severely but at the same time, I am not surprised because of past situations that these agencies have gone under review constantly because of certain actions. Um, but I hope they get it together and people start stepping up and applying for these jobs again. Wade, your thoughts on this news story? Well, actually, my wife worked on a JFS for a lot of years. Uh, she didn't work in, as a case worker, but she was there in, in another position. And this is an ongoing situation. Uh, and with the pandemic, it just escalates the effect of this because they've always had a problem with maintaining a, a workforce staff. Job is very difficult. Uh, with all the, the caseloads are so high. Uh, all the visitations that must be done, dealing with the stress and everything of, of the situation with the kids and the families. Uh, it's a very, very hard job to do. And it's hard to uh, keep people in those positions over a period of time. They burn out. And then they also, uh, you have the tendency sometimes to have uh, situations where people are not uh, fulfilling the uh, job uh, obligations. And so then they have to uh, uh, let those people go and try to bring in someone new. And like I said, it's, it's like a merry-go-round down there with that. And uh, the pandemic hasn't helped the situation at all. And moving on to our next topic, according to statistics released by the FBI this month, more than four Black women and girls were murdered each day in the United States in 2020. The uninformed crime reporting statistics revealed that those startling numbers were a sharp increase from 
2019. The FBI said it recorded at least 405 additional murders of Black women and girls, but reports have strongly suggested that the number represents an undercount. Those reports don't surprise or comfort victims' families, but only serve as another reminder about the lack of value attached to the lives of Black females. Andrea, your thoughts on this very uh, upsetting story? When I first heard it, I, I first thought it was maybe they made a mistake. But then again, I am not surprised by this because of the biases and thoughts concerning Black women has not changed despite the many progresses we have made over the decades. Black women still fight for equal pay. We still fight for um, great medical care. Even when we get it, there is some bias with the medical care. Even in the workplace, when we prove our worth and we show our confidence, someone is always intimidated. We just want to be accepted. And also the fact that the law enforcement cases involving Black women sometimes are not investigated as strongly as others, which is a shame. So I think overall, this is a testament that law enforcement, whether it's local, state, or national, needs to improve. They need to be more effective in covering all people and investing, especially investigating cases involving Black women, because we are daughters, mothers, aunts, sisters that have people who are concerned about us, and we need to have us looked after just as great as everybody else is. Wade, your thoughts on this very upsetting story? Well, unfortunately, I think this trend is going to continue to rise. Part of the, the situation goes to actually uh, the uh, progress that uh, women in general, Black women in particular, are making uh, all the uh, jobs out in, uh, in the work world, out, uh, uh, dealing with the uh, situation at homes and all that. All that. The woman is, is, is the way the woman is thought of is starting to change. Unfortunately, if you watch YouTube, TikTok, and everything else, you'll see that women, as they progress, they take on some of the same roles or habits, and they do some of the same thing that the men were doing or are doing. And uh, on that end of it, violence end of, of it, uh, they're no longer looked at as someone to pre be protected. Uh, you're you're uh, you're equal now, and uh, where a guy, it was it was very unusual for a guy to hit a woman back in the past. Now that's that's changed. Uh, it was very very unusual, outlandish to even think of a guy shooting or a woman in the past. And over the last uh, 10, 15 years, that has changed also. So uh, as one, uh, women continue to progress, and and that role of e equality is is looked at, I think that this trend is going to go up. Unfortunately, that's the way I see it. I, I know Ms. Carter uh, mentioned the other side of, of, of law enforcement and all that, but uh, I think that the way things are moving forward, with the progress women have made, and they're not backing down, uh, they're assuming cert certain roles, and not just on, like I said, that's not just at on the on the job and everything, but also on the streets and the homes and all that and everything. And so they are being looked at a little differently. You're looking at somebody else as equal, and 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 you start to get into these situations. Now they're not holding back, and uh, they're receiving the same treatment that other people are receiving. And uh, like I said, unfortunately, that's that's the trend, and I I don't see it stopping. Let's move on to our next topic. 
At the Monday, October 11th Board of Education meeting, Cincinnati Public Schools Interim Superintendent Tayane Amat announced that the district is successfully implementing the staff vaccine mandate approved by the Board of Education on September 13th. Importantly, 408 employees are newly vaccinated as a result of the policy. 87% of the CPS staff are fully vaccinated or partially vaccinated with a commitment to submit proof of the second dose no later than November 8th, 2021. As of now, 12% of the staff will participate in weekly testing. Employees who become vaccinated will no longer need to submit weekly tests. Andrea, your thoughts on this news story? I think it's good. I think everyone needs to do what they can to protect the children. Some are lucky to get vaccinated, but unfortunately in elementary schools, there are a lot of young people who do not qualify for the vaccination. So you have to do your best to protect yourself because, you know, kids carry germs. And, and, and I like to call them uber germs because, you know, kids pick up on a lot of stuff and they share a lot of germs innocently, but they share the germs. So I think it's a good thing that the teachers are working to protect themselves. I know a lot of people don't like it. I respect their decision. But at the same time, the labor laws are working with the employer, not the employee. And I think everyone needs to recognize what is happening across the country and go ahead and get the vaccine or at least do what's needed necessary to protect themselves under the new rules that we're working under. And that's because more and more businesses are recognizing that if the pandemic went away tomorrow, they could be sued for creating a hostile work environment because the people are not protected. Enough people get flu shots, have colds, things like that. It's an, it's an everyday thing, but we're in a special circumstance. And because of that, I think people need to recognize and not worry about their civil rights, but think about who are they protecting down the road. But I'm glad it's happening. Wade, do you have any thoughts on this story? Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the big thing is, is people want to work. And uh, I think that it's come to the point where people are saying uh, whether they are for or against the vac vaccination or the vaccine, uh, they want to work. And uh, if they have to, or they they uh, see that that's the, the roadblock to them working. They they are starting to say, well, we we've got to go ahead and make that move and, and get our lives back to normal. And I think that's what you see. Moving on to our next topic, the Biden administration is again urging courts to step in and suspend a new Texas law that has banned most abortions in the state since early September. The Justice Department on Monday night asked an appeals court to block the law and allow abortions to resume in the state. The request came as clinics in Oklahoma, Louisiana, and other states remain busy with Texas patients journeying hundreds of miles away to get care. Last week, a federal judge briefly blocked the law for a brief 48-hour window, but it was quickly reinstated upon appeal. The Texas law, SB 8, is the most restrictive anti-abortion law that's gone into effect since the Supreme Court granted women the constitutional right to an abortion in Roe v. Wade. The law bans all abortions after a fetal heartbeat is detected, which typically occurs around the sixth week of pregnancy, before many women even know they're pregnant. Andrea, your thoughts on this news story? I, I, I think Texas has lost their mind. Texas is a unique animal, political animal. They're very heavily Republican. Uh, they're very much believe in power and control. And a lot of men in Texas believe in telling the woman what to do. And this is a form of control that has been a political hotbed since Roe v. Wade 
first got approved by the Supreme Court. I think people fear population levels. I think people fear the future. I think people fear the control that too many people, too many women have relied upon getting an abortion to do their birth control option. I'm not recognizing that this is clinics offer more than abortions. They offer reproductive care to people who cannot afford a regular physician. But when you have men who think old-fashioned and tradition, this is what you get. And unfortunately, when you have so many people thinking the same way, this is what you get a very restrictive work around what has been the federal law since the 70s. I admire Biden's administration and the, the attorney general going after Texas on trying to circumvent the Constitution regarding this right on behalf of women. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in court and what's going to happen. Wade, your thoughts on this story? Well, without jumping on either side of the fence about abortion, I, I think this, to me, it comes down again to the Supreme Court made this decision years ago. And now for a uh, state to come in and circumvent it, no need to go to appeal courts or have the federal courts and all that get involved. You go right back and uh, if, if the Supreme Court is the court of, of the country, uh, the top court system, and, and they made this decision, it was voted on and all that, this should be their fight. And uh, they should step in and, and do the process that's necessary to, to uh, say yay or nay, this is what, 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 was, what, was, what was decided on. They're going to uh, relook at it. They should relook at it. If they're not, they should uh, say, well, this is how we're going to enforce this, this ruling that has been here for so many years. Uh, again, all this playing with the appeal courts and all that, uh, I think is, is nonsense. This decision was made by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And if you don't have uh, any power from that, uh, you just weaken part of the, the, the legislative uh, process. I think that uh, the one of the Supreme Court should be shouting. Because if this is allowed to happen, what where do you go from there in terms of the other rulings that are made by the Supreme Court? Uh, so I think on the big picture, uh, everybody should leave this letting these appeal courts and all that stuff and everything. That's that's little. Uh, this is this is the big league, it's the Supreme Court, and then the court system is supposed to be the big dog. Uh, and if uh, we can't go by their rulings, uh, there is there's just total chaos. Moving on to our next story. John Gruden is no longer the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. In a statement, Gruden said, I have resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. I'm sorry, I never meant to hurt anyone. Mark Davis, owner of the Raiders, said he accepted Gruden's resignation, which came hours after the New York Times published a report that said Gruden had made homophobic and misogynistic comments in the past. The Raiders are the only team in the NFL to have an openly gay player. Carl Nassib came out prior to the start of the season. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? Amazed that a coach in this day and age would make that stupid mistake, especially when you have a gay player on your team. Not to mention those players who remain undercover who might be gay or at least bisexual on the team. I, I, I think 
the NFL is a microcosm of society and all the coaches, whether black or white, need to be aware and just stay neutral. Whether you think something or not, or think is right. If that player is working for you, play them, deal with it, but don't make comments about it because eventually it's going to come back to bite you. And I, I know the NFL has gone through a lot. The players have gone through a lot. And I admire so many coaches and so many players. But at the end of the day, everybody's human and everyone needs to be respected. And I think coaches are held to a higher standard and they mean to maintain that high standard. And what this coach did to resign is the best option for what he did. I, and I really, truly, if, if he thought about it, he should have stepped should have stepped ahead of it and said something so he wouldn't have to lose his job. Instead, when you hide what you said, deny it, or don't think that much about it, this is what happens. And I think he was doing well with the Raiders. I think they were not a great team, but they weren't a bad team. So um, I hate to see what's going to happen with the Raiders. Wade, your thoughts on this story? Well, it's, it's weird in one way because a lot of the emails that came about originally were were like 10 years old and so uh that was that was the first of it when they started bringing the emails out it was about racist stuff that he had said 10 years ago 10 and such years ago everything uh and he uh came and apologized and made his comments and everything and most of the people had accepted apology and they was going to go forward and they uh wall street came out or i'm not sure which one was it was new york New York first, and then the Wall Street came out after, or vice versa. But then they came out, and they uh, had more emails, uh, homophobic emails, and things like that. That that really uh, brought light to to some of his his thoughts and and actions, because uh, they also had him with uh, looking at photos or videos of some of the cheerleaders as they uh, were forced to uh, go without top. So uh, it's unfortunate. I don't like the idea that that they can go back and pull emails from 10, 20 years ago and still have to talk about it in a way. I mean, I understand he has to address it and he has to apologize. He has to hopefully make a turnaround in his behavior or his thoughts and all that and everything. But if you did that with everybody, I think you would have have everybody resigning and and uh, change of positions because uh, it, we all have skeletons in our closet. And uh, it's, it's just that, that certain things seem to, to get more response than other things. And I think that what should have happened, he should have, uh, like say, should have apologized. He should have had conversations with the, the players, with the, the media, with, the, with his uh, organization, on through uh, some type of uh, additional training to make sure that that the behavior uh, wouldn't happen again in the future, but when they get people like this and they're forced to resign or they're fired and everything this quickly, uh, it, it's scary because again, you still have to look at people's rights and and uh, everything, give them a chance to to, to do better. I, I think that it's easy for us to uh, look at other people and say what they should have, shouldn't have done or, or what they did and, and and everything, but we forget that we have our past also. Well, that's all the news stories for this week. And now I want to go into the main topic of the week. I want to reintroduce our special guest, Aaron Gratch. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm great. Thank you. 
if I remember correctly, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Am I correct? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about Breast Cancer Awareness Month? So October um, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I honestly couldn't tell you why it became, I think, Susan G. Komen kind of started that um, trend. Um, so it's just raising awareness of breast cancer awareness, why you might need to get a mammogram, raising the fact that maybe uh, that one in eight women do get breast cancer in their like one in eight women at, in their lifetime. And that it just spreads the education and the awareness of breast cancer. Also, you guys um, do a mobile uh, monography uh, van, is that correct? Correct. So my role is to take our mobile unit into areas where maybe somebody might be in a rural area that they don't have access to get their mammogram or companies where women are very busy in their everyday life. So bringing the mobile mammography unit to their company gives them access, easy access when, you know, they're busy working, they're, they have families, they're moms, they take care of other people. So this gives them, you know, they just make their appointment and we come to their company and it's 15 minutes in and out of our mobile unit and um, they don't even have to uh, make an appointment to go to the hospital or a doctor's office. So it's a very convenient way to get your mammogram and reach other people in different demographics or areas that may not have access to those resources. That's very convenient. Also, I want to ask, so how successful has that been so far? It's very successful. So we um, go all the way to, we service like the entire tri-state. Um, we see multiple companies. It's a routine mammogram. So basically you're coming on, you have no signs or symptoms, but we, we can do up to 30 women a day. So imagine, you know, you go to Kroger, you're, you're shopping, you get your groceries, you come out, you get your mammogram, you go home, um, and it saves lives. So these are women that don't have any symptoms. They're just getting a routine mammogram and, um, you know, early detection really will give you, um, 95% survival rate. So it's important that we we have so many women that come on our mobile unit that says that, that say, you know, if you weren't here today, I don't know if I would have had a mammogram. I don't know if, you know, how long it would be before I would have one. So it's, it's very important. I'm actually a five-year breast cancer survivor and a mammogram on a mobile unit saved my life and the convenience saved my life. And I don't know if I would be here talking to you right now, had I not had one on a mobile unit. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. That's a really um, valuable service to all the women in the greater Cincinnati area. I just wanted to ask my guests, uh, Andrea uh, or Wade, did you guys have any questions for Aaron? You just mentioned uh, breast cancer for women. How does it affect men? So um, yes, men, actually I have a, I have a breastie. Uh, <laughs> SD Delgado and he owns Delgado cannolis and he, um, started a, um, a foundation for men. It's, um, gosh, the name escapes me right now, but he was diagnosed with breast cancer. So men do get breast cancer 
And it's not as common for men, but they do get it. And we, we probably see one male come in every three weeks into our um, center, but um, it's not as common, but they do get breast cancer. And definitely you want to check for signs and symptoms, lumps, anything, changes in your breast, um, asymmetry, you know, something like that. But um, yes, men get it just as not as frequently, but they do get it. Andrea, did you have any questions? Well, I was just going to say, how um, have women been coping during the pandemic and getting their mammograms? Has that affected women who have been, have they been putting it off or are they still saying, no, 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 this has to get done? Absolutely. A great question. Um, women have put it off, unfortunately, and um, we're seeing um, many women overdue and also getting diagnosed in later stages because of this. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. And I'm also on the board for Pink Ribbon Girls. And so they do services for women, rides to treatment, peer support and meals. And their services have gone up 33% in the last year, just because um, women have put off their their mammograms. So if you get a mammogram and you're diagnosed in stage one or two, your survival rate is 95%. If you're diagnosed in stage four, it's 25%. So a mammogram can catch a tumor three years before you can even feel a lump. And that is incredible. I mean, imagine knowing that you have cancer three years before you can feel a lump. So that's life-saving. Is there any technology available to make it easier on women in getting a mammogram? Unfortunately, the smash is very important and, and that gives us a better look. We do offer, so insurance pays hundred percent for a 2D mammogram, which is your standard mammogram. And that's, that's a, a flat image. It's, it's a one picture, but we also offer a 3D mammogram on our mobile units and at all of our breast centers. And that's a view by view layered view of the breast. So it's multiple pictures of your breast. And what that does is it gives you, they can pull out each image and then pull the tissue away and say, okay, that's nothing or that's something we need to really investigate. Um, so it reduces callback rates uh, for um, women. And then it also catches cancer, I think 25% earlier. And those smaller masses, especially if a woman is told she has dense breast tissue, then in most women over the age 50% of women over the age of 40 have dense breast tissue. So a 3D mammogram gives a better, clearer view of the breast. And insurance companies sometimes cover it and sometimes do not cover it. I'm actually going to the state capitol tomorrow to um, give my, my proponent testimony for a bill to be passed that insurances have to pay for mammograms 3D mammograms if women have dense breast tissue, because right now they're not required to. So I feel like every woman that has, um, in every, it's not fair that insurance companies pay 
for some women and not others. And it should be across the board. Everyone gets a 3D mammogram standard. Yeah, because I've seen, um, I know I, I, it was offered to me when I had a mammogram. In fact, mm-hmm. I did my updated one. Um, and they told me the price mm-hmm. between the, you know, the, the 2D and the 3D. And I just like, would love to do it. But because I understand that price, that sticker price is. Correct. And Correct. And even yes. though it's worthwhile and you can see everything. I mean, but yeah, I, I hope you're successful tomorrow. Um, Thank you. It's not it. I think that, you know, it, it really knowing yeah, like, that I had dense breast tissue and um, I did opt for a 3D uh, and I was given that choice and I had no family history. Most women do not have family history. So that needs to be debunked. Um, and most women, only 7% have the breast cancer gene. So it's very important. That's my job right now to, you know, as a breast cancer survivor, as a patient advocate, and um, just to help women to know that you don't have to have family history. You don't have to have the breast cancer gene. Uh, Breast cancer is higher in Caucasian and African-American women. So those things I have to educate people on. There's risk factors. The two biggest risk factors of having breast cancer or getting breast cancer are being a woman and aging. So we're, we're, you know, it, it could strike anybody at any time. It doesn't discriminate. And we just don't know what's going on inside of our bodies. And that's why early detection is the key. I had no symptoms, no signs. I had no family history. My surgeon looked at me and said, I was just unlucky. So that's why I've taken it upon myself to change my profession and to advocate and educate and also raise money for women that can't afford mammograms. Well, that's that's a worthwhile cause. So um, thank you very much. How does uh, location, like is is Cincinnati a high risk carrier versus say Columbus or does that matter, matter at all? Honestly, I haven't, I have looked into the map as far as uh, breast cancer um, and how it affects uh, Cincinnati versus Columbus. I haven't seen any statistics on that, but I will say Ohio is higher risk than some of the other states in the United States for breast cancer. Um, And you can always go on to, you know, the um, American Cancer Society and find those, those, uh, that information. But I think in general, um, we see, we go through the 275 loop. We service rural areas. These women may not have the resources again to have access to getting a mammogram and, and we're, we're just screening 25, 30 women a day. And they just, they appreciate our services, but every time they come on our mobile unit, we definitely try to educate them on, you know, on the facts and, and why you're not necessarily, anybody could get breast cancer, anybody. So they're like, I don't have family history, but that doesn't matter. So it's, we, we definitely do an outreach and reach women that um, may not be able to 
afford mammograms. We offer financial um, support on that. So we're able to finance and find funds for women that can't afford mammograms and that may not have insurance. So that is very important too. We don't want women to go unscreened. That is the biggest thing. So you go unscreened and then what does that look like for your family and for, you know, you're already struggling through maybe COVID. You might not be working because of COVID. You may be working from home. So we go to where maybe you go to the grocery store. So we try to make it as convenient for you as possible to get the screening. And if you don't have the funding, we don't want you to not go unscreened. We will help you find the funding. We can get that covered for you. Just call our number. Our schedulers are great about where do you live? Where do you work? We can find somewhere close. We can actually help you with the application. All of those things. What are some things you can do to try to help prevent breast cancer? Well, of course, exercise, um, a low-fat diet, um, keeping your weight down, exercise, basically less alcohol, also is one. So just a healthy lifestyle in general. But like I said, I was, I had just ran the Boston marathon two weeks later, I ran the flying pig. And then a week after that, I went for a routine mammogram and I had breast cancer. So, you know, I think just, it doesn't discriminate. Like I said, I mean, you can still be healthy and get breast cancer, unfortunately, um, but definitely keeping, you know, your weight down, those types of things, um, not smoking, not drinking, obviously, you know, all those things that take, you know, being healthy, but we never know what's going on inside of our bodies. So that's why these screenings are life-saving and, and they catch it early and getting an early diagnosis versus a later diagnosis could be life-changing and life-saving. So that's why it's very important to start your screenings at least at age 40, unless you have a strong family history, then you may want to start them earlier. You can consult your doctor on that. And if you are younger than 40, you want to make sure you're doing your breast exam the same day every month, just pick a day and do it and look for changes, um, dimpling, colors, color changes in your breast, um, dimpling, um, discharge from your nipple, all of those things could be signs. And you never want to wait until you're 40. If you have symptoms that you're not sure of, you always want to just get them checked out, but basically just knowing your body and getting those preventive screenings as soon as you're able to. Well, that was a very insightful conversation. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me here on tonight. And I also want to thank our guests, Andrea and Wade, for contributing to the um, top news topics of the week. Thank you, guys. I appreciate all of your comments. You're welcome, John. Thank you, John. And uh, make sure to check out the stories we talked about today on our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph Beck Booksellers, and at select service stations. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. 
We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald podcast. Follow us at the Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. And follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald, and have a good day.